Welcome to the Carmesh Rebels podcast. I'm Jenny Field. I'm Advita Patel. And I'm Trudy Lewis. In today's episode, I want us to talk about inclusion and inclusive cultures. Surprise, surprise. I was not write a book about it or anything. Um, and I think, different topic for well, you. Different topic for me, honestly. Um, and it is, you know, it is front of mind for me, obviously, because I am writing this book about cultivating inclusive cultures. But it's also based on some conversations I've had online and in person with various people about responsibility for inclusion. Yeah. Um, Priya and I, the book that we're writing is about inclusive cultures and internal communications professionals so how do we contribute to this conversation and I've had I've been part of many debates and I've read blogs by other people as well around this subject about the responsibility and who's responsible for it and how much ownership do we take and what I mean by we is communicators um, but also in terms of people in general and I wanted us to have a chat today because it is a subject that is a bit complicated I think or people think it's complicated I obviously don't think it is but others may believe it is complicated but also this fear of what role do I play in this and should I play any role in this and is it actually my responsibility in supporting this cultivating or supporting this culture of inclusivity and it's based it is based on a on a conversation I did have with somebody who basically and I am kind of you know summarizing the, the chat to say we just have too much to do and we can't take responsibility for everything. And sometimes you just have to do what's been asked of, to do, asked of you to do when you just do it, which I 100% get. But then where does that end in that? And when we talk about inclusive cultures and what does that mean? Actually, I'm going to throw it out to both of you because it'll be really interesting to get your point of view. It's like when you think about an inclusive culture and when we talk about this, because it is a term that's thrown around pretty frequently nowadays. What does that mean to both of you? Like, Trudy, what does inclusive culture mean to you? It means that everybody's included. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, it, it, means, it means that you are cultivating a sense of belonging in everybody. So everybody feels that they are a part of something, that they belong, um, that they're included, irrespective of who they are, where they came, come from, their background, their ethnicity their preferences you 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 let everybody feel as if to say they are a part of and belong that's how I would look at it and do you think that is possible I think it's possible everybody to belong and be included yeah I I think it's possible to have (laughs) Jenny's looking at me Um, (laughs) I think it's possible in that and it sounds a bit ideological because it's you know it does it doesn't seem like it's happening but if as an individual, you are, you know, we're all contributing to the culture of the organization for, as an example, then we have to be wedded or committed to be, to, to, to inclusivity. We have to. If we're saying that we're going to contribute to culture, to the, to a healthy culture within an organization, then inclusiveness is a part of that. And it can, it's not, it's not divorced. We, it means that inclusiveness is important to all of us to have to, to get involved in or to make it happen in some way, even if it's a small way. Um, so we all have some level of responsibility there. So for me, it's it's a dream, <laughs> but it is possible. I think it's possible if we're if we're serious about having healthy cultures, if we're serious about having 
um, you know, including everybody in in an organisation, then we have to be responsible for mm. inclusive inclusion. What do you think, Jenny? So I, um, I are we yeah, going to fight? We're not going to fight. I mean, I'd win, but we're not going to fight. <laughs> um, so I, I really like your definition of in what's an inclusive culture. I completely agree with that. I think it is where everybody feels a sense of uh, feels that they belong. But I remember your event at Vita that you did a few years ago with a leader like me, where you did um, one of your diversity conferences online during the pandemic, which I attended. And there was a panel that was talking about inclusion. And I asked the question of, do you think you can ever truly have a a truly inclusive culture? Because I always feel like somebody would be excluded because there's so many variables and different elements in there that I think somebody or or some or a group or whatever is always going to feel excluded as an unintended consequence of other things. Um, so I think it's I think it's very difficult to create a truly inclusive culture on the basis that I don't think we probably think enough about what that might look like. And if I think of an example, I suppose I'm thinking about the fact that there might be somebody that wants to have a sabbatical from work, for example, and take some time off, but there isn't a policy in place to be able to do that, or it's not culturally acceptable to take time off to go on holiday. But somebody might want to really grow and develop and travel and and Mm -hmm. do things and have that flexibility. And I think that that's where things get challenging for organisations because that just sounds like you're off to have a nice jolly. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, there might be a really valid reason why you want to travel at certain parts of the world to learn more about different cultures or different Mm -hmm. things. But it's kind of got this perception around it that maybe isn't seen as a learning opportunity. And therefore, that's not allowed. Whereas you might be given time off work for other things that are more accepted by society or or deemed to be acceptable or, or whatever it is. And I think that's where it's difficult because it's just so individual. And that's where I feel that it's not always going to be the case where you can truly make everybody feel included because... I don't just fit into one bucket. It's not an easy problem to solve. And I know you said up front, you know, it's, it can be quite easy, but I'm I'm not just a woman. I'm not just this. I'm not just that. There's lots of different component parts that make you who you are. And I think that's why I think it's difficult, but mm-hmm. I'm sure you will educate me as to why yeah. it is not. Inter- intersectionalities <laughs> of life, right? I think that's, that's important. It's, you're right. You're not everybody is the same and intersectionality is a big part of who we are. Yeah. There's one overriding thing for me with all of that is if an organization cultivates a culture where fairness is one of the biggest values that they're focusing on, then that is that does not that's that solves some of that problem. Because if I'm if I'm different, if I'm one if I'm that person who, you know, I I don't have children, I want to have time off. If there's an understanding that there's fairness in the organization and that's what's promoted, then I won't feel resentful of the of the person who goes off or who gets maternity leave just because they're pregnant. Yeah. I don't feel resentful, by the way. No, no, I know. But some people no no no, but some, but people, some people do. do yeah. I mean, I remember when people used to smoke in the office, people used to feel resentful that those who smoked 
got the opportunity to go outside and have a break. Oh God, they did. To have a cigarette. Yeah. And then, you know, why can't we have breaks yeah. every second? And people would go, I've added it up and they've gone out for... Yeah, for, people for would do 10, that. five minute breaks. So they've had an hour off and I haven't had an hour off. So exactly. I'd like an hour off. That's a much less clenchy example. <laughs> it is. We should have started with that <laughs> Let's one. Let's just start we with that one. We should have done that one. But, but, but what, that's what I'm, exactly that. But what I'm saying is... If fairness is the thing that drives you within, the, you know, almost like a value within the organisation, then fairness says that, you know, if somebody says, you know, I want a little break, you will let them have a break. And yeah. I think that's, that's what trumps you can't be inclusive for everybody, for me, slightly. <laughs> yes. Yes, very. I mean, valid points, I think. The, the whole idea of inclusive cultures is giving people a choice. But this is about inclusivity, right? So to Jenny's point, people need to have a choice in how they want to work. And if you're offering something to somebody, you cannot not offer it to somebody else, yeah. right? And there are organisations who have built a fairness culture or an inclusive culture with fairness in there where they do offer sabbaticals. But and it's not the norm, it is not no, the norm. And I think and I think that's my my point is it's because it's in in law for certain things and it is the norm that you would have maternity time. I mean, I'm, I I know I'm going down a rabbit hole of maternity which is not my intention. <laughs> in but, the UK because I know in yeah, the, in the, the UK it's different isn't it? It's 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 not the norm for it to be ever for there to be the time away from work for people that don't have children. And I think that's what I find a bit strange when you're looking at inclusion, to your point and to your point of it being a dream, that's the end goal, right? Is that is that all of this stuff becomes the norm and it's just... Yeah, and that's an inclusive culture. Yeah. So it's, it's How many organisations do you know that have a truly inclusive culture? Not many. Very so, few. I mean, people are, chain, people are changing it, that's for certain. I think people are recognising that you can't just have a set of policies and that is it. You need to be very mindful of, yeah. of, the, of what you're saying and putting out there. So your behaviours and your, value, your values are aligning with your behaviours and all that kind of stuff. And I have seen organisations and worked and spoken with organisations who are very consciously introducing new policies and not even calling it a maternity policy, which is another debate altogether, but calling it, you know, carer's leave or parental leave, yeah. um, allowing um, parents of genders and or whatever you know or even non-binary they're not identifying it to any particular gender saying that if you have a caring responsibility for a child mm. it doesn't matter who what what it is you'll have the same amount of time off yeah, yeah. and it was a traditionally associated to women going off for you know six months or a year if, if they were able mm. to but now it's now organizations are recognizing that it's maybe not all women want to have that year off right or six months off, and let's offer it off out to other carers and parents who might be that who may want to take the opportunity and have made that policy quite inclusive. So you don't, you know, before it used to be dads. I think you know, in the traditional sense, two dads weeks had two it? weeks, yeah, yeah two weeks paternity, and that that was it. And they never got the opportunity. And I think people are seeing that that life is changing quite a lot, mm, yeah. and have adapted that policy. So that's a very you know practical and tactical example. But that's why for me, it needs to go beyond the policy. It has to. And beyond the policy means that it's it's actually entrenched in how we operate as an organisation, hence the culture. It's it's not just about, oh, we'll write a policy for... You have to have policies. I'm not saying you don't have policies. It's just that it has to go a bit further 
that this is how we behave as an organisation. It's a conversation. And yeah. this is this is what, you know, going back to the original question is who is responsible for this inclusive culture? Mm. Like who drives that? And if you, you know, if you speak to some people who like it with leaders, and that's true. Yep. Leaders do drive culture to an extent, I would say. But I would also say that, you know, the responsibility does, you know, would sit with people who are in positions of um, communicating certain messages. Yeah. And I know this is hard when you are got a lot going on, but if you're being asked to communicate a policy, for example, that doesn't really represent fairness or you're not clear how it represents fairness, then we should be able to ask that question as a communications professional and say, can you just help me understand what impact this is going to have on some of our colleagues and what behaviours we're expected to see changing because it's not quite clear. Yeah, this is an easy one for me because I think it's just about ethics. Like, I don't understand why, if you, as a communicator, if you're asked to communicate something and you don't understand it or it doesn't sit with the values or you know it doesn't fit with other things, then there should be a question and conversation. Well, it's what we do because we. It's we what you be do. You, you you challenge yeah. it. Yeah, and and that's not about that. That to me isn't necessarily about who is responsible. It is about my responsibility as an ethical communicator. And that's a different thing. Mm -hmm. It's not that I'm responsible for the inclusive culture. It's that I have a responsibility because of my profession to make sure that this fits with our values, our culture. It's, you know, this doesn't quite feel right. Let's have a conversation. That's part of my job. And I I would be surprised if there were any communicators out there who think otherwise. But that for me is, is that that's, that's what it is. Because you can't be a communicator and not ask some of those questions. Otherwise, you're just you're just becoming a postbox as a function. Mm, and if you want yeah. to be a postbox as a function, then that's fine. But I think you have to own that that's what you are. Yeah, but And as, in a lot sorry. of work that... Sorry, I'm on a soapbox now. And in a lot of work that I, I have done where I've talked to people about how to engage with leaders and how to do that sort of stuff, I always talk about, is it a hill you want to die on? Because <laughs> in my career, I've died on a lot of hills, mm. you know, and I've fought a lot of battles and actually probably fought too many that I didn't need to. So I do appreciate the comment around we've got a lot to do and we can't always do everything. But there are some things that are worth fighting for, you know, and you've kind of got to pick the things that are important to go into battle for. And to be quite honest, if you've got to go into battle about fairness and things like that, then there's probably something bigger at play here in your cultural mm, yeah. organisation that needs to be looked at. Mm -hmm. But it's an ethics thing for me, and which makes it a very black and white yeah. Situation. Yeah. Well, I was just, it just, what you were saying just made me think of, um, as a communicator, when you're preparing any piece of communication, you're always going to verify the facts. You're always going to verify what's true. Yeah. Uh, you're always going to check in with the, or the, the owner just to make sure that it's right. You're not going to, you, you never ethically just pump something out, uh, write it and just leave it like that and say, well, yeah, it doesn't matter if it's if it's wrong or if it's politically incorrect or whatever it doesn't matter i remember when i used to work in a comms team we took great pains in making sure that every single thing was correct you know we couldn't you couldn't put something out that wasn't verified mm. and if if there was a question mark about ethics we had to flag it up you know even if we we might not have had access to the most senior person or to the, even the author, but we had to flag it up somehow because it's stuff coming out from our channels. So we have a responsibility to make sure that everything that comes out is ethically sound. 
Yeah. It's as simple as that. Do you you think it happens though? I know it doesn't happen all the time, but I think it should happen. I I think there's also something to just being realistic and reflecting on my career of being a more junior communicator of sending stuff out where, you know, was I up to speed enough with with the with what was going on across the organization to know something might not have been completely right mm-hmm. like i think that there's something about being quite junior maybe not having that breadth of knowledge and depending on your relationships with those people not having the confidence to maybe go back and say this isn't really quite right now when someone says that to me today i'll always say well that's the job of your director of internal comms director of you know there is a more senior communicator there than you then use them because mm-hmm. that's what they should be there Guiding to them, there yeah. to guide and, and help but I think there are some circumstances where people maybe are too busy and therefore it's just going out without due thought. And I think that that's, that's possibly what's happening is uh, we've just got to get it out because we're just so busy and I haven't got time. So I'm just going to chuck it out the door because I can take it off my to-do list because work has become a giant to-do list, especially if you're remote. That's all your job is. Yeah. It's sitting mm-hmm. at a desk at home on your own, working through a list of things to do. The quicker you can get them done, the quicker you can get it done. That's not joy-filling as no, work. But as a, as a junior member of staff anyway, you would have had to have things signed off. You couldn't, and, and you would have, if something, I remember being junior and actually saying, it's just isn't quite right. Yeah. You know, there's always somebody that I could check it with to yeah. say, you know, and, and I couldn't, you know, comms did not come directly out from my involvement in it it always got signed off by somebody more senior when I was in a junior position so there is there is that thing of yeah I don't have the power as a junior person to push things through but and and I'm busy but I have access to enough people if there's a if there's something that doesn't feel right and you'll know if it's not right you know if something doesn't sit right with you you'll know it's not right and if if the ultimate thing is that we're trying to engage people, we're trying to be inclusive and so on and so on and so on, then you will take the time to do it because otherwise, what are we communicating? Yeah. I think it's important to know, you know, at the start of this conversation, we spoke about what is inclusion yeah, and what does that look like? And it will look slightly different in every organisation depending on your needs and wants and what's going on. And it's being mindful of that. And we always talk about in Leader Like Me, it's about the four A's. You know, so we talk about acknowledging what is the problem, Mm. what is going on and what are people telling you? You know, why are they feeling excluded? Is it because they don't feel like they're getting equal opportunities to go on a sabbatical? Is it because they're not getting the breaks that other people may be getting? And listening and acknowledging that and then being aware about what are you, you know, what is it that needs to be done? So what do we need to do about this? If, if, if our colleagues are saying we're not getting fair chances on going sabbaticals or, you know, having the breaks, then what do we need to do and being aware of that? And I think we all play a part in that. Yeah. You know, especially when you're out and about talking to colleagues, you hear more maybe than other leaders may hear. So we do have a responsibility to take that forward mm-hmm. and then taking action. You know, so now we've got awareness about what the problem is and we acknowledge what the problem is. What actions are we taking? Are we putting a policy out there? Who needs to run with that and what responsibility are they taking? And then taking accountability. You know, accountability for it working, not working, measuring, all that kind of stuff and then going through the circle again. You know, if you if you have this mindset and, you know, around it's not my job. Yeah. My job is just to do what I need to do, send stuff out, you know, ethically, you know, I've done my due diligence. I've checked with my manager and they said it's fine to go. Yeah. I do think some of the some of the stuff we hear from colleagues, and we've all spoken about this with the work that we do with our clients, some of the stuff that we hear, we do have a responsibility to take that forward. 
and say, look, people are feeling excluded here. Mm. And you're right, you can't you can't fix it for every single person that works in that organisation. There will always be somebody who feels like they could be better yeah. or this place could be better. But you do have to listen to the, to the voices and what they are saying and give people choices on how, like, you know, I want to use the Queen's death as an example, right? So the Queen's death, lots of organisations sent out um, comms around how sorry they are and how, you know, how sad they're feeling about it speaking on behalf of the organisation without recognising there'll be people in that organisation who actually have got a very turbulent relationship with the monarchy mm-hmm. based on the, the, the heritage and, and the colonialism that went comes with the monarchy. And there was no real... At the time, people didn't really think about that and they ended up excluding people. So doing things like the two-minute silence and even though it's a mark of respect and some people go, it's a mark of respect, other people would disagree with that. Mm. And my when people question and ask me, what do I do? It's like, well, give people an option and a choice. Yeah. Mm. You know, even the government, when they put the guidelines out, gave people a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and they said, it's up to you. We're not going to say what you should, you know, this is what we're, we're doing, but it's up to you how you want to do this. So allowing people to say, if you don't want to take part in this, it's okay. And here's this, this is what you can do in, you know, go here or this is what we're doing instead. But it's when you don't give a people choice and you force them down yeah. A route that you believe is the right route can make them feel excluded. Another example I'll give is I spoke to a Pakistani woman who works in a PR agency. Um, and, you know, I've spoken to loads of Pakistani women and women of colour, obviously, with the work I do with a leader like me. And we talked about inclusion and, you know, they said, everything's great. You know, I love my work. The people are really kind and they you know, inquisitive and curious and there isn't, you know, I don't feel I'm being harassed in any way or that way, but I do feel excluded because there's this culture in the PR world about going out for drinks after work or, you know, living your best life in London in a flat on your own or going on Hinge or Bumble or Tinder or wherever. And there are some people who just don't want to do that culturally, or because it's they're not comfortable doing. But, you know, when when she shared with me, she said, you know, people ask me, like, what you, we need to get you on, we need to get you on Tinder. We need to get you out dating. And she's like, culturally, that's, I, I, I'm not, I don't do that. Like, I am very comfortable that my parents will be finding my partner for me. And I'm okay with that. Mm. But in the Western society, mm. we seem to find that really difficult because what the media tell us about arranged marriages and all of that kind of stuff so we think we're being a bit saviour and I'm putting myself in this bucket by the way you know I've grown up in in this world and my mind my mind is very much about oh I want to make my own life choices but there are people who don't want to do that and that's okay but we seem to in in the hope of including we often exclude and I think we just have to be very conscious and this is again we talk about this all the time don't we about Mm. conversation yeah getting to know people being curious and understanding what it is about them that, you know, that they enjoy and not judging. Yeah. And we're very quick to judge in yeah, this place. That's very what quick. came to my mind. So when you were talking, I kept thinking, gosh, it's it's so important for us to not be judgmental. And when we're when we're developing a culture, that's one of the big things that we need to be promoting. You know, you can't be judgmental and have inclusion because not everybody's going to do the things that we want them to do or the things that we've put out there, a bit like your examples that you gave. And so we have to, you know, everybody else have to be in a position of not being judgmental. I know that's hard because sometimes you think because of your bias or because of how you've grown up, you're thinking, how how dare they not do that? But the reality is that we have to try to not be judgmental at work. 
Yeah, and get to know people yeah. a bit more. Right? Because if you understand why the person's not doing something, then you'll understand why it's going the way that it's going. You know, sometimes we, we, we sit around and make a judgment about why somebody's not celebrating something that we're not celebrating or behaving in the same way that we are or not going out for a drink or so on. And I, I used to have it. I never used to be a heavy drinker or so on, but I used to be judged about not drinking, <laughs> you know, and you think, yeah, but I don't drink. And they say, well, how can you be so happy? <laughs> how can you be so happy and you haven't had a drink in you yet? And I'd, 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 be, I'd be like, I don't think I need a drink to be happy and smiley. Yeah. You know, but again, a judgment was passed on me because yeah. of that. So, you know, because I just couldn't care less, I still continued going out with them, but some would probably oh. not go out and oh. feel like, oh, I feel uncomfortable going out with them because they're going to make me feel a bit odd. Yeah. I chose not to because I just don't, I like going out. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. And I think that's, that's you know, it, that, those are very real examples. And yeah. I'm sure the people who are listening will have similar examples of where oh, they absolutely. felt excluded or had to pretend to be someone that they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, pretend to say, oh yeah, you know, I had a really large one last weekend, so I'm not doing it this weekend, knowing full well that they're quite comfortable <laughs> playing Nintendo at home. And that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not calling names anyway, but you know, it's fine to do that. But yeah. a, there is some shame attached to that kind of stuff. And I know we've kind of gone down a bit of a rabbit hole with this inclusion stuff and we did start off with who's responsible. Yeah. But I think one of, I know we're going, not quite tips, but I think advice yeah. is probably the right one for this episode is if you are thinking, what is it, what is my role in this space and how do I, you know, authentically be part of this conversation? And it is about making sure that you are continually learning about mm-hmm. people. You're asking questions around certain behaviours and procedures and policies, asking, you know, things that people may not consider because I think it's not possible. So if you are working in an organisation where there is no sabbatical leave or you're not allowed to, you know, have flexible working, whatever, then it's okay. I think it's okay to ask Mm-hmm. And say, you know, what what yeah. what are the what are the challenges that are stopping us doing this? And can we have a conversation? Because mm-hmm. this is what I'm hearing. What about both of you? Have you got any kind of advice, the guidance? Only, the only thing I keep coming back to is the is the comment that you made, which is what's prompted this conversation. Is the conversation that you had yeah. somewhere else <laughs> about the kind of it's not my job? And I've been sort of sitting here reflecting on that as as we've been chatting and talking and thinking about really what I've what I've come to <laughs> is. To be a functioning member of society, you cannot really ever say, oh, that's not my job. Yeah. Because even if you even if you link that to things like walking past a significant amount of litter when there's a bin nearby, oh, it's not my job to mm-hmm. pick that up. You know, oh, it's not my job to... like. Oh, why you, should I? Yeah. Where do you then draw the line at being a member of our society, which involves community and involves being human and and, and being with other people? And I think that's... What I would ask if people are looking at this and looking at inclusive cultures and and I think if you've got that mindset, then that's something that you really need to explore where that's coming from because it's a bit of a fixed mindset about what your mm-hmm. what your role is. And I, I don't think that's helpful in any aspect of your life if that's your belief. Yeah. I also don't think I have ever in my career gone, oh, that's not my job. I've done the exact opposite <laughs> and gone, how can I get involved in sorting this out? <laughs> because that's the sort of, and I think we're all three of us are quite yeah. similar with that. So it's really alien to us that somebody would feel that, mm-hmm. which is why I think it's quite jarring. But I, I just, I think there's something in that because actually 
if we went through life saying, that's not my job, that's not my job, that's not my job, then you're just alienating yourself from being a, a as, as I've put it, a functioning member of society, mm, as, yeah. which yeah. is yeah. just my opinion. But I, I mean, what I do hear a lot of is, it doesn't sit with me, it sits with EDI. But what does, like, yeah, but, oh <laughs> God, like, <laughs> you can't say that. But also, why do, you know, it's from a communications perspective, everybody communicates inside an organisation. So why would communication sit with you? Mm-hmm when everybody communicates mm-hmm. that, that it just doesn't work and i think i think we say things like that because we don't understand what we need to do we're too scared maybe to get involved we don't have the confidence of the subject or it's not that's nothing to do with me that's over there because it's too political or i don't want to get involved or i don't know enough there's a reason why we're saying it and i think mm-hmm. you've got to think about why you're saying that yeah. Yeah. And, and and I think it is fair to say, I completely appreciate the need to do that. I don't have capacity to do that. But what I am going to do is speak to the people that I know can influence this so that they're aware that my voice is part of the voices yeah. that need to be heard. That, for me, is still contributing to the fact that mm-hmm. things need to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. I mean, for me, I just, you know, just on that point, we do get involved, you know, within communications, you do get involved in things like health and safety and you don't have the same response. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I know. How many times had you, did, did comms people have to come alongside health and safety, promote health and safety messages <laughs> To make sure the org- trips and falls, trips and falls. I mean, well, I used to work in construction and rails, so you know that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, so it it literally is. If it if it's okay and important for you to stand up in those places, then it's equally important for you to stand up in EDI. Yeah. And the irony and the irony of all of this is that inclusion is such a big part of feeling safe not only psychologically but physically feeling safe (laughs) and if you feel included and you're caring about others you will your health and safety scores uh, you know research and changes show are much better yeah I'm now just thinking about someone going somebody (laughs) oh this is awful I'm thinking about health and safety somebody having had an accident somebody walking past and going it's not my job (laughs) (laughs) but you would never do that you would never do that you would never do that because that's just a horrible thing to do and you you wouldn't do that to to Trudy's point you know we never really question other things that we get involved in but sometimes when it comes to and I now I have shifted my thinking and and I don't often talk about EDI as because I think EDI is always associated to the marginalised communities and the represented groups, which is a very important part of what we do. But I also acknowledge that inclusion is about everybody. Yeah. yeah. And it's how does everybody, whether you're the straight white man to if you're a South Asian woman, you know, with, with a disability, you're all part of the conversation mm-hmm. and you shouldn't be excluding anybody for, for anything, right? Yeah. And I know there's different balances and all that kind of stuff, but everybody has to be part of that community. Yeah. Yeah. For that, for that business to grow, yeah, and develop, totally. totally. And I think that's that's where my, I think we kind of got to a conclusion is that it is part of everyone's role, yeah, to an extent. In terms of, you know, you may not be drivers behind the policies, you know, that may be left to the specialist out there, which is really important. But you are contributing to Jenny's point to the conversations, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're raising that. Which for me, you know, conversation and being curious. And taking the time to ask questions, not assuming and being non-judgmental. I just wrapped up all my tips in one. Um, <laughs> Very neatly done. Thank you. Um, would be the things that we need to champion. Yeah. You know, and those are the things that help you when you say, yeah, I'm going to be ethical. Yeah. You know, I'm going to do do the bit that I do need right to do. Thing. I won't be able to fix the whole thing, but I will do the part that I can do. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's really important. Don't walk past the person on the floor. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's not talk about Matt Leave. <laughs> Ever again. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Thank you for listening. If you want to find out more or subscribe to our newsletter, visit calmedgerebels.com. We'd love to continue this conversation, so please connect, ask questions, and share your thinking with us. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, under Calm Edge Rebels. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to rate and review us. Bye.